My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry, and I used to think that it was cool that Maury Povich came to my old job. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone even remotely related to Burn Notice, the television show on the USA Network, please get in touch. You can send us connections to all of these wonderful people that you know, questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind forever. This is the rule the rule that we've had from day one the first day to burn notice podcast at gmail.com or to our twitter at burn noticed pod and as always that is burn noticed with a d like a penis mm-hmm. so you're a big maury povich fan <gasps> well no um but it was he was like him and christian slater i used to work at a doggy daycare in the upper west side Mm-hmm. As many people might remember from having listened to this show. Yep. Um, the show we've been doing for, for two and a half years. For two and a half years. And like Murray Povich and like Christian Slater were like the only famous people that ever came in like on the regular. And I would at parties just tell people and name drop these names because these were the biggest names. But now I work at like a vet hospital in like Studio City. And suddenly, all of the famous people are way more famous. <laughs> and so now, all of those stories that I used to tell feel, like, weirdly petty. <laughs> oh, Maury's your celebrity yeah, dog Ma- sighting? Cute. Exactly. And, like, because now it's, like, way more famous people, who I almost never see. Mm-hmm. God, uh, I really but... hope that, like, a burn notice person comes in. Right? But, like, not even, like, one of the famous ones. I really want, like, a like Jason Bly, like, the guy that plays Jason Bly to come in and for you to look at him dead in the eyes <laughs> and know who he is and know that probably no one else does. But in your heart of hearts, you're like, you're from Brad Wakes. You're Jason Bly. This is Jason Bly's Pomeranian. <laughs> Do you think he lives in L.A.? I feel like... I think he does. He's he's in a ton... He's like... I've seen that that Jason Bly actor in like eight other procedurals. And all, and all of them are, are L.A.-based procedurals. Yeah. Who, who else could, could could come into your doggy daycare and me be re- and like us be really excited because it's a burn notice person? Who's like a, a burn notice person that isn't really from anything else? Honestly, like Gabrielle Anwar. That's true. That would be fucking I would cool. love to meet Gabrielle Anwar so much. Would you? Okay. If Gabrielle Anwar comes in with a Pomeranian, all the Burn Notice people have Pomeranians. Yeah. I will not be taking questions at this time, but it's canonical and true. So Gabrielle Anwar comes in with her Pomeranian. You are a greeter. Uh-huh. You greet her. Yes. What do you say? Do you say anything? Um... I mean, I say, if you could please sign in on this tablet right here and sure. have a seat, we'll be with you shortly. Okay. That's probably what I say. Thank you. Uh, I think it depends on, A, what she is bringing in the Pomeranian for. Just like a regular checkup. It's nothing like serious. She's not like okay. screaming, crying. The Pomeranian's not bleeding. But she is seeing a doctor. Well, is there another reason why she would be at a veterinary hospital? To get like shots or something. Okay, let's say. Or even to pick up medication. Um, yeah, no, she she's there to to get a COVID booster for her Pomeranian. Then actually, I probably wouldn't because she would be waiting in the lobby, and I don't want to make a scene. Uh huh. Um, but like, if I had to take her to like a doctor's office, like okay, so room, let's say like, you're making this this hypothetical as in, like difficult as possible. I mean, because here's the thing: 
context matters always. Like, yeah, but you're making me guess the. Okay, you're taking her back to an exam room. I'm taking her back to an exam room. Good God. She is getting an annual checkup for her her Pomeranian. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really wrong. She just mostly needs to because it's been a year. Mm-hmm. And she seems friendly. Because that's the other thing is that sometimes people do not want to be talked to. Sure. And like, this goes for famous people and non famous people alike. I'm not going to. Did chat- Maury seem like he wanted to talk? Yeah. Okay. Although, I mean, the one time I met Maury in the park and I went, wanted to go say hi to his dog because I love his dog and I don't care about him, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he thought that I was trying to say hi to him or, like, he didn't recognize me or whatever. And I was just like, I don't care about you, Maury Povich. I just like your dog. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so so she's, yes. she's Gabrielle and Maury seems friendly. You're taking her back to an exam room to get her, her dog checked up on. Nothing is wrong. It's just the yearly checkup. Everything's fine. One hundred percent. I tell her. Tell her what specifically? I want you to be specific right now. I'm Gabrielle Anwar. This is my American accent, uh, and I'm. Holding I mean, why my is she? Why is she making doing an American accent? Because she's just she's practicing for a new role. She got out of practice, no. and also because I don't want to do an accent during this role play session. Oh my god! I think my exact words are. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you a thing that's a little weird, and I just well, sorry. This is weird. Me and my friend have a Burn Notice podcast. I'm not asking you to be on it. I just, like, feel the need to tell you that this is a thing that exists. I think it would be something along those lines. That's terrible. Can I give you some notes? Go ahead. Well, first of all, I feel like she knows what show Burn Notice is, right? Yeah. We're all aware that Burn Notice is Burn Notice. Yeah, we're all, yeah. So the fact that you're starting with it's weird... It's but not, without actually saying, we're a big fan of yours. I oh, no. Do his, like, oh, the, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to say that. Okay, so because that's an important part, because otherwise it's just like, hey, I have a Burn Notice podcast, and you just stare at her. <laughs> it's like you have I mean, to contextualize no, that. Of course. Like, I mean, of course I'm contextualizing, but like, what I'm trying you to You gave me an exact phrase that did not include this. Like. This is terrible role play. My boner is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you are giving me nothing either. I am trying. You are not, like, you're not engaging with me in conversation. I was. I said I was using my American accent. So, so Gabrielle Anwar comes in and says, I'm using my American accent for a role. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unprompted. Yes, I'm actress uh, Gabrielle Anwar. This is my Pomeranian, Justin. <laughs> Justin the Pomeranian. Yeah, Justin uh, the Pomeranian. Okay, okay. So I think it would probably be like, I would, let's say I was a receptionist. So I was sitting here down because like, I was like getting information like, hi, what are we seeing? What are we, what are we seeing Justin for today? Mm-hmm. I'd say, by the way, I never ever do this, but I, I am a very big fan of Burn Notice. I did enjoy it. Like to the extent that me and my friend have a podcast about it. And just wanted to say, really enjoy you on that show. Great show. That's it. I'm done. Wow. So you start with that you're a fan of Burn Notice, starting with a lie. Fascinating. I mean, I think I'm technically a fan of Burn Notice. Yeah? Yeah. I think, like... By force. By force. Like, I don't think... You are a non-consensual fan of Burn Notice. Yes, that's 100% true. It is it exactly. The thing is, I mean, I liked it when I watched it back in the day. Right, and that's why we started this podcast, because we both enjoyed independently this television show. Well, yeah, like, back in the day. Like, that was a thing that I watched and, like, had vaguely fond memories of that I never really examined all that closely. Mm-hmm. But at this point, you know how the opposite of love isn't hate, but indifference? Mm-hmm. 
I cannot say that I am not a fan of Bird Notice. Sure. Because you're certainly not indifferent to it at this point. Exactly. You know too much. The burden of knowledge. Exactly. Has reached the certain threshold. Oh my god. Anyway, speaking of Burn Notice, do you want to talk about Burn Notice? Not really. I want to continue this, like, very chunky roleplay. But if we must, because this is quite I mean, an episode. I mean, that's it. Like, <laughs> here's the thing. This, the most important thing is that, like, when I am talking to her and saying that I have a podcast about Burn Notice, it has to be very clear very quickly that I am not asking her to be on the podcast. I mean, that's fair. That, and, like, and I did like that from your first take. Exactly. That, like, that was like, a that's good the thing. To me, like, that is the most important thing to get across. Like, I think it is worth it to tell her that I have the podcast mm-hmm. because it is funny. If she asks you for the podcast, what do you say? For the podcast? I mean, I will tell her the name of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I will, like, give some warning. <laughs> What's the warning? See, now let's dig in. Because we know that Matt Nix is beloved, and this is why we haven't had anyone official on the podcast yet, because we've burned those bridges in episode fucking one. I will say, like, we are sometimes critical of the show in a jocular way, (laughs) when it is, like, when we feel like it could be better, when it is not living up to its best standards. And frankly, in our opinion, its best standards are when you are the protagonist. Yeah. That's the other thing I'll say is, like, one thing that's... I should make very, very clear is that we love you always. Mm -hmm. Everything you do, excellent. Thumbs up. Great. You're our favorite part. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I think, like, yeah, it would be something like that. This is the thing is that, like, you get on me for, like, not doing it exactly how I'm going to do it. But then also get on me for, like, not setting up a proper context. Like, for mm-hmm. trying to set up a proper context. Because everything that, like, I'm doing is contextual. Sure. So. Right. Like, what I want to do is for you to just work with me. Just work with me Never. Here. I refuse. Well, this is the problem. So, um, speaking of business and working, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 9, called Official Business, which aired August 16th, 2012, and was written by Bridget Tyler, our new token girl on staff, and directed by a man whose life I once held in sleepy, sleepy hands, Jonathan Frakes. So, Bridget Tyler, who is our new Lisa Joy, who is our new Mir Smith, she... A.K.A. the only girl on the writing staff. <laughs> yes, that's just what I call her, the token girl. Her IMDb is only two episodes of Burn Notice, because she has one in in the next season and then a TV movie from 2013 called Horizon starring Carrie Ewells. Is that's that how it. You say it? I have no idea. I don't even think I typed it right. No, you 100% did not type it right. Yeah, it does not matter. I don't think it's Ewell. Is it? I've always thought it was Elvis. El- maybe it's Elvis. I don't knows? know. The guy from Princess Bride. Yeah, exactly. The guy from Princess Bride. Really what I know him from is You know him from Sight. <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. I was going to say, well, I mean, of course, I know Wait, him as a jewel a- thief. <laughs> We do a burn notice podcast. You know him from Psych. <laughs> also, you talk about. I love him in Psych. I mean, he is great in Psych from The Princess Bride. Yes, from The Princess Bride. So I, I was like really surprised that this is all that her IMDb page has on it. <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, I'm not Bert- that surprised because I watched the episode. Well, uh, so I went to her website, and so um, she doesn't consider Horizon to be a TV movie, She cons- which is what IMDb considers it. She considered it to be a pilot that she sold, uh, but I guess it didn't go anywhere. And I also learned that her husband is a robotics professor. She lives in Oregon, represent, uh, and mostly writes books now, though she has apparently developed many pilots. So it looks like nothing have, uh, of hers has gotten made, but she has made decent money in yeah. both prose and in development, which is Good honestly how a lot of writers end up making that's a living. true yeah 
like the writer that I know from um, APB, the terrible Bad Nick show, he is largely a development person. Like instead of going from staff job to staff job, he is like behind the scenes. Were you looking at her website being like, well, this is my future? (laughs) I would love that, honestly. I would love to marry a robotics professor and live in Oregon and write books and develop stuff. Is it too late for Quinn to go to robotics school? Probably. Mostly because I think he won't want to do it. If he wanted to do it, it wouldn't be too late. It's never too late to follow your dreams. Education is for everyone. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the IMDb description of this absolutely buck wild episode. This, this episode has... Energy. Yeah, it has an energy and it is everything. Uh, so the, the description of it is that Fiona must help a CIA asset who is targeted by a black market businessman. Sam and Jesse infiltrate a mercenary training camp to track down a sniper. Like, do you ever like see like a loony, a picture of like a Looney Tunes character that's like a little bit too horny? Mm-hmm. That is the energy that this episode has. Yeah, it's... It's something. So I think we should get into the weeds and just Let's get, get down the weeds to it. and like go. Let's go. So we start with uh, Jesse kind of giving us an info dump on everything he's found on the Prion Group, who, if you'll remember from last time, is the private security firm that ordered the sniper rifle that killed someone. It doesn't really matter. Again, such a f- like I have not stopped being like so enamored in by the way that the burn notice writers like fucking do not care categorically do not care that Nate is dead. Like next episode we get a little bit more, but it's no, like think, it's like, been like six episodes and nobody we'll, gives a shit. We'll talk about next week, next week. But yes, like no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. It's so gonna... funny. Like Sam's even making jokes at one point. I didn't write it down, but he makes some joke about like, oh, we're just gonna like say like, hey, did you kill my friend's brother? Like or something like that. Like I don't know. There's just like this such a dismissive attitude. Like we're just treating this like any other case of the week. <laughs> no one. Made this brother. episode. Because again, next week is, and we'll talk about next week, next week, I'm going to get that tattooed somewhere. I was just going to say, like, I feel like you say that in every episode of yeah. I feel like this episode feels so weird because it's right before a mid-season finale. Mm-hmm. You know what it feels like? It feels like that epi- that episode from, like, season two or three of Buffy, where it's, like, almost the finale, but we have to, like, stop for a second because Xander is going to turn into a fish. Like, like Xander, Xander turned into a fish. I forgot Xander, about that. Like, there's this episode, I think it's like right before the season two finale. It's like right after like the like ghost episode where like Buffy and Angel are like ghost lovers. And it's just this random episode that feels like it's from the first half of the season where like Xander and like the track team get turned into oh. mermen. Oh, I, for, for some reason I was thinking like a like a little fish, like no, in no, a no. fishbowl. No, you mean like a fish guy. Yeah, like a like a merman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. like the track team by like the coach and it's just like, why are we doing this now? This is right before the finale. Yeah, this is this is absolutely the wrong tone and energy to go into the finale. With. Exactly. And that is the tone that this episode has. For sure. Yeah. Especially in context of next episode. But we'll talk about next episode next episode. We'll talk about next week next week. <laughs> so, uh, back to the the exposition dump. Uh, so we learn that uh, the Prion Group CEO, Jack Vale, 
is probably who we need to go through. His security is tight enough that nobody could have stolen the gun, which is good news because that means that whoever got access to the gun is going to be in their records. So we just need access to their records. So their their plan is to be fake buyers of his mercenary group because like they 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 do the thing where it's like we can't hack from outside because it's too airtight. We got to be in person, and they're like, cool. Well, then we'll be in person. So Michael needs to look like a billionaire. This is like really emphasized and then it never seems to come no, up again. No, it does not matter. And I will bring this back a couple of times. But so we, they, they... And it's a- also a very kind of outdated idea of a billionaire. It is like, he's describing like a billionaire. It's like, you have to have like the nicest suits, the nicest clothes. You gotta look fancy. Like, it's like kind of billionaires, as he describes them, are like flamboyant mob bosses. Sure. And it's just like... All of the most rich men in the world look like nerds. Yeah, like that's true. No, which I feel like was true back then. It was true then. Like again, like back then, the most the richest man in the world was like Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill, ba- <laughs> Bill Gates is a huge dork. Exactly. Like that's the thing. The thing nowadays, like billionaires are dudes who like wear hoodies mm-hmm. and like like cargo the dumbish things that you can find them in exactly or like what they wore at 12 years old and have never changed out exactly of. ever at, at best in terms of like trying to be cool you get fucking like Elon Musk who is like trying so hard and but it even could he be... looks like an overgrown fucking child well of course because he is an overgrown fucking child and his idea of like cool shit mm-hmm. is like an overgrown child's idea of cool shit sure but, like, and I guess, like, that could be what Michael is going for here. But, no, it seems to be that they think that this is just what billionaires are like. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I don't think Michael Weston slash Jeffrey Donovan could pull off a realistic billionaire. I do think Kobe Bell could. Kobe Bell I would, certainly could. I would love to see Kobe Bell as, like, an actual, like, billionaire, you know, overgrown like, child. Here's the thing. I think it would be hot. Oh, it absolutely would be. Would and be it would so make me hot. like, it would make me maybe a capitalist. It, a Kobe Bell as like a fake yeah. oh my venture God. bro might. Or like kind of like, not this exactly because it's terrible and it's awful. Sure. But like, I finally watched Batman versus Superman oh and God. the absolute I insane thing that Jesse Eisenberg is doing in that movie uh-huh. is like just a wild energy. I I haven't it seen is. it. It's so weird. I just know about the Martha scene. Oh, the, yeah, it's terrible. It's a terrible, <laughs> it's a bad mo- movie. I didn't realize how dumb it is. Mm-hmm. It's a really dumb movie. Like, mm-hmm. I think I said on Twitter that, like, it is a movie that plays, like, camp, but played at, like, 1-1,000 speed, so it sounds like a drone. It's like, camp <laughs> slowed down to a drone. Wherein, like, it takes itself so seriously, but it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of get it now. Like, Zack Snyder is terrible, but I think I kind of get the thing that people like. Mm-hmm. Because it's so self-serious, but it's really incredibly silly. <laughs> it's so, like, dumb and silly. It's very Elon Musk. Bringing us full circle. Full so circle. when they get to the end of their, like, I have to look like a billionaire, this is really important. Um, Michael's like, yeah, so I'm going to need Elsa's help. And Sam says, like, uh-oh, I don't like where this is going, as if we're going to get an Elsa scene. But we're not. No, we're not. No. And this is the first of, like, two or three times that this happens in this episode, where it seems like they're setting up a scene that, like, would be fun. I would 
absolutely pay Matt Nix all of the money in my bank account to see Michael Weston do a shopping montage with Elsa. Oh my where God. Elsa like has to like say like, mm, no, he a billionaire would never put that watch with those shoes. You know what I mean? Like like, like full on dressing room montage? Yes, 100%. Matt Nix, I will take back everything that I ever said about you. I will give you all of my money, which is not that much. I will do anything for you to give us a Michael Weston shopping montage with Elsa. Oh my god. Yeah. No, that would have been... It would have been incredible. It, it been seems incredible. like that's what they're setting up. Yeah. And then they just, like, don't. We just, like, skip to the meeting and he's, like, wearing a suit and a watch. Which, like, yeah, he wears all the time. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a nice car. Mm-hmm. He's in a nice car. And, like, right. they, they mention the car and it's just, like, it is... It's whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's the... And it's, like, it's so boring. It's so boring. It's the worst. I'm, like, so upset because the way that yeah. Sam reacts implies that there's going to be a scene, but there's not. No. So, okay, whatever. Here's the thing about this episode, because mm-hmm. I feel like it had no money. <laughs> like, it kind of reminds me, I think, of, like, possibly even the first Lisa Joy episode, which I think was the one where they're in the Everglades. Oh, yeah, 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 with that, with the, like, drug dealer that they kind of con into making on their side. Yeah, that's another episode that feels like it has no money. Mm. And that it looks like they sent, like... The B team, like, <laughs> with a camcorder to the Everglades and just said, make something. It looks like the movie your brother made. <laughs> Manhunter. Manhunter. That's what it looks like, that episode. And this feels the same way, because this, ha- this has such a low-budget feel to it, like, throughout, that I kind of assumed just, like, if you have a new writer... They kind of just give them nothing. Yeah. Well, they definitely gave her nothing because most of this episode doesn't make any fucking sense. So, like, okay. So we we go to the meeting. Michael's cover is Mr. Kruger. I don't ever think we get a first name. Although if we do, let me know because I will need to update the burn notice wiki. I just have him there as Mr. Kruger. We assume it's Frederick. <laughs> so anyways, Mr. Kruger and Charles Fenley, associate to Mr. Kruger, meet with uh, Vale and his executive assistant, question mark, Thompson. Their cover is that they have an oil field in need of snipers or something. It's really, it's like, hmm, rich people, rich people. I need snipers. Rich people. And they're like, cool. And so the the condition from Michael the billionaire, Mr. Kruger, is that like he wants to see his personnel file so he can start to see like, oh, do you have the right snipers for my oil field? And he's like, I mean, I'm not going to show you that. Like the privacy of my militia is really important. And so they, you know, do a thing that they do a couple of times this episode where they're like, okay, we'll just walk away. It's like a lot of like, you know, make them come to you kind of like psychological conditioning. And they're like, well, 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 hang on. Maybe you could come to one of our training facilities and observe our training. And then you'll know that like, regardless of the literal human beings that we hire, you'll see how they're trained and you'll trust us. And they're like, this is acceptable. I think Michael even says like, no, he this literally, is acceptable. That is literally the line of dialogue he says. <laughs> yeah, his cadence is very weird. Uh, I guess it's his billionaire cadence. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll see you later. So cool. I want to like, I want to record a rap song called Billionaire Cadence. <laughs> The training facilities in South Carolina, this is sort of important later. So they leave. Sam is like, that might not get us enough access. And Michael's like, "Mm, it's going to have to be. But also, did you see Thompson, the executive assistant? Question mark. He was looking at my watch like he wanted to eat it. So I think he's the weak link. So we got to play that guy, not the CEO. And Sam's like, okay. So then Michael calls Fee to invite her on vacation to South Carolina. But she's a little busy with the two CIA chuckle fucks from the fall of Sam X, who I guess are more important continuity than Lawrence Samuel. 
stupidly, uh, and they're like, we have to use our newest CIA asset, Fiona. And so the, here's the first thing oh, about Oh, God. This. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah. So this Holy is shit. insane to me. Because, like, basically what, is, what it is is that the CIA has come a-calling on their latest CIA asset, yeah. Fiona. Exactly. If you'll remember from, like, three episodes exactly. ago, the reason, like, the condition that, C- that Fee gets out of prison is that she agrees to become a CIA asset. There's, like, six scenes with fucking Dr. Cox about, like, you're gonna be a CIA asset. You're gonna be a CIA asset. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And so, but, like, Fiona looks, like, shocked. No, and no. there's a dolly shot with, from fucking uh, Jonathan Frakes, the pervert, who, like, is really emphasizing how surprised and no, shocked no, she the, is. The- the face that she makes, the like reaction that she does is amazing. It's an amazing, and like the the shot, the cut to the because it this is when we cut to the title card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like this is the cold open. Like it's literally like what? Yeah, it's like it's like, it's like a cartoon double take. It, it is literally it is a cartoon double take. The thing that she does, and then like she does it so fast, and then we immediately cut to the title card. Mm-hmm. It's hysterical. Hysterical. It is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, I literally... The thing about this episode is there are multiple points in this episode where I paused and rewind it and rewound it and watched a thing several times because I could not believe that this happened. Yeah, I also did that. Like, I kept, like, watching and then I was like, hang on, what? And then I'd go back and I'm like, oh, no, I heard that right. What the fuck? No, literally, the face that she makes. This, again... It's very cartoony. This episode has a cartoon energy. Mm-hmm. Like the CAA guys are extra cartoony in this one. Oh, everyone, yeah. they're huge buffoons. So everyone in this ep- in this serial is a buffoon. Mm-hmm. The CIA guys, buffoons. Thompson, major buffoon. Oh yeah, we'll huge get buffoon. to that. We'll get to this week. This week, yeah, strong, bu- big buffoon energy. Yeah, BBE for short. But like, I'm just. So then we go to the next scene, which is Sam and Michael with Fiona now uh, confronting the CIA guys. Like, how dare they call in their new asset that we all knew about? Like, they're acting like this has never, ever, like, crossed their minds that the CIA might need their asset that Fiona is. Like, it's so strange. And, like, it seems to be both that they, like, can't believe that the CIA needs Fiona for something, even though, again... They all signed the fucking paperwork. We all saw it. But also they seem to be in particular frustrated because they know these two CIA buffoons to be buffoons and they don't trust them to keep Fiona safe. And that's a little bit fair. A little little bit bit more fair just because it seems like these guys are seriously negligent. Totally. I mean, like, didn't... I I think they even make a joke about the Sam fall of Sam Axe where, like, the... He arrested them and like got them tied up in their own safe house or something something and and again they are so cartoonishly buffoonish that like it does kind of make sense that for them to be really upset that like these men are in charge of anything but it takes a while for them to get to that being the core problem especially given that they all seem again really confused really genuinely so confused that fee is doing the thing that they that got her out of prison yeah that they all agreed to it's so strange it's like it would be one thing if they chose this as an opportunity to be like well, yeah, but we thought that, like, a real CIA agent, CIA agent was going to call her in. Not you idiots. You still work there? That seems like a mistake. Like, you know, like, if it was more, like, about that and less just sort of self-righteous anger that she might be put in 
in danger by these like strange people that we hate but like don't have any specifics on because like it seems like no one talked to this woman before she wrote the episode (laughs) so weird it's so weird it's so weird so i start off just confused like did i forget what just happened no i recapped this podcast and i watched it like three weeks ago i know what happens in that episode so i'm annoyed and so like basically michael is just like okay well then i'm not going to south carolina either i'm her backup and the cia guys are like like, no, we're her back. And Michael's like, I'm her backup. Absolutely fuck you. And they're like, okay. Um, so here's the deal. This is what they need Fiona's help with. So uh, there's this guy named Vincent Durov. He's the owner of a Ukrainian aerospace company. Uh, he winters in Miami. And even though he used to just be like a rich business guy, recently there have been like hints of him um, dabbling in both the black market and also specifically with terrorists. So like recently he's escalated from like rich prick to possible terrorist threat. They know that a deal is going down soon and they know that the details of this deal are locked in a safe inside his office, but they can't get anyone in. They have an asset on the inside who is his girlfriend. Her name is Angela. We'll meet her in a little bit. In addition to Angela, they sent in another asset, like an actual CAA person, and they found him dead like not long after so it's pretty dangerous but they're hoping that a a capable woman will fly under the radar more than their like male asset that they tried to send in last time so the deal is guy aerospace russian dude selling to terrorists his girlfriend is on the side of the cia and they're gonna send fee in to help her out break into a safe get the information and get out clean this is the job this is the job this is the job this is the job. So Sam and Jesse, for their job, are going to for go. Jerb? For their job? Sam and Jesse's job. That's too jerb, close to South Park for comfort. <laughs> are going to respect my authority and go to South Carolina for the training facility. So next we go to an outdoor cafe for Fee to meet with her old friend, Angela, the CIA's civilian asset inside of Durov's org. Angela is obviously terrified. She's dating a very dangerous person, as we are led to believe, and obviously wants out. And Fee's like, I promise you, I'm going to get you out. But here's our cover. You know, you were a model in Milan. I've spent some time doing also work in Milan. (laughs) There's a Gabrielle Anwar does a really good line reading here. I'm just like, I was in Milan doing some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to her credit, you know, despite the cartoonish nonverbals that Jonathan Frakes is forcing her to do, like, Gabrielle Anwar is having a good time. No, she's having a great time. And the thing is, I do, I have said in the past that I enjoy it when Burn Notice is a cartoon. Mm -hmm. And like... I don't dislike this energy. But it feels a little monkey posh. <laughs> it's a little, it feels a little monkey posh, but like, I, I'm really fascinated because it does feel a little bit like if I had suddenly, if I was Bridget Tyler and like, I had suddenly been given the keys to burn notice, like, and I would, me sitting down like, I want to put my money where my mouth is <laughs> and wrote this monstrosity. You would not have written this. There's a spe- there's some parts where I'm like, Christine would never. But uh, specifically, the whole time I was like, mm, Christine would never. Uh, anyways. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you watch episodes of Bird Notice. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about how you would write them. Uh, just kidding. It's all about me and how I would write them. So yeah, so the cover is that they met in fashion in Milan a couple of years ago. And uh, Fee is in town for some reason and needs a place to stay. I don't think Fee ever even like clarifies what her fashion job is. She's still she, fashion. She was in fashion. Fashion. I think probably the out. implication is that she was also a model, yeah. but it's unclear. That's never like made 
subtext. Right. Yeah. It's just subtext. So whatever. Uh, so we then cut to Fee driving up to Durab's house a bit later. Her name is Phoebe, which I liked. I like that her Fee's uh, cover is Phoebe. Yeah, that is I good. Thought that was fun. And then we have a quick car commercial for a Hyundai. God, um, it's so <laughs> explicit. It's so There's like a literally. Spy voiceover and everything. Yeah, no, the spy voiceover is literally just like when you're a spy, you can't have a tricked out car. It's like you need a car that's already tricked out. It's literally like it's so overt. I watched this like four times because I was like, well, first of all, I didn't, I couldn't tell what car it was. I actually had to Google car logos and then like poke around until I found the exact. That is logo. true. It is a little bit hard. To tell what car it is. I mean, they put, they show the logo, and they I guess if you logo. know cars, that's yeah. a thing. But, like, they don't actually say, you know, like a Hyundai Sonata. Sonata. <laughs> I mean, they usually don't on the show when they do their car commercials. And they do a lot of car commercials on the show. They do a but lot. this is, like... This is the one worst of, one. <laughs> this is the worst one by far. It's so... It's incredible. It's... Especially because it's immediately, like, bookended by Fee getting, like, spanked. Yeah. In full broad this, daylight. This episode... Here's the thing. <laughs> You were like, I remember watching this episode and being like, there's so much going on in it. And then like, forgetting half of it. And so we're going through it again. And I'm remembering, oh, right, that happens too. That's right. There's a car commercial in it. It feels like I'm dredging up traumatic (laughs) memories that you've managed to like, repress. So yeah, so we do a car commercial and security's like, uh, you know, we got to pat you down now, ma'am. And then Durov comes out like, not slow motion, but with an energy of slow motion. It's uh-huh. like, don't worry, I he's got walking, this. He's walking like in his head, he's in slow motion. Exactly. And so he comes out and he's like, I, oh, I'll take it from here. And I assumed he just meant like, we're not going to pat this nice lady down. But no, what he means is I'm going to pat her down myself, even though he's never met this woman. Presumably, I think Angela was even like, oh yeah, this is my friend Phoebe. She's going to stay with us for a little bit. And he's like, cool. And so then he just like, like gropes fee like starts by like spanking her and then like feels her up for a while and then at the very end like gives her an actual spank and we get like close-ups of all of this it's so like again (laughs) this episode is porny it's so porny and i think that's part of why it feels and part of that is the low budget like i think the budget really contributes to the like porniness of it yeah and like the thing is this show is always shooting in random mansions, mm-hmm. but it makes it more porny. Yeah, oh, it's like it's absolutely wild. And so, like, while I am reminded, oh yeah, this is why they got Frakes because Frakes is a big fucking pervert. Uh, we cut to a van where Michael and the two chuckle fucks are all wearing beige and I looking never, absolutely scandalized watching. I can never game. work with Jonathan Frakes ever. Again. <laughs> I have never said anything bad about Jonathan Frakes, but by association. <laughs> I mean, sorry. My like, he's kind of a pervert. It's just like, look at how he directs women. He's kind of a pervert. I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying, man's kind of a pervert. My friend Hallie and I almost killed him once. It's you did almost kill him. It's fine. Not because he was a pervert. It was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, not not because he was a pervert. (laughs) Mostly because I was very sleepy. Uh, My friend Hallie calls this show "Burned Bridges." (laughs) <laughs> this is the show that's why I will never work in this town. Yeah. You're like Griffin from Blank Check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Griffin from Blank Check already had, like, some success. He yeah. didn't start out as a nobody. <laughs> just fucking blasting people. I forgot his last name. I'm just like, the one that's not McElroy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a second I was like, what did Griffin McElroy do? 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Sophie gets felt up. Michael watches and, and is scandalized in his little beige outfit. And then we go to South Carolina. So meanwhile in South Carolina, Jesse, uh, who is not even introduced, so we don't even know necessarily who he is in this organization other than like, he's also there. And for some reason their boss isn't. And he instantly offers Thompson a bribe to like, let them see the um, the files because they're still trying to get the sniper files. And it is rejected outright. And so Sam and Jesse pretend that they have a conference call before trying again in the morning. So they're yeah. like, oh, okay. Sorry about bribing like, you. Bye. Yeah. And Thompson is so offended. Yeah, he's super, super offended. And this will come back later as like a way that they play with it. Yeah. Um, but honestly, no one touches butts in this scene. So it's pretty much a wash for me. And I remember watching the first scene and like when they mentioned that guy was like really eyeing my like uh, watch. My watch. And I remember being like, "What? Well, there was another guy in that scene? <laughs> yeah, like, I know. And then I was like, oh, I guess there was or whatever. And then later we had this scene that was like, Oh, this guy is all right. He's not like an amazing actor or anything, but like he's really kind of having up a little. I had no idea. <laughs> you didn't know it was the same person? No, I knew it was the same person. I had no idea like the links that this actor will go. I just like, I love <laughs> this actor. <laughs> Oh, this episode, y'all. So back in the virgin van, Michael chides the other virgins and then calls Fee for phase two of their office approach. Because, like, apparently this is moving very quickly. Durov is at a meeting across town, and so Michael's going to, like, stay on the comms with Fee while she breaks into his office and breaks into the safe. Once she starts the break-in, she can't bail out. This is very important, although they instantly bail out, so it actually is fine. But um, as they're, like, making their way to the safe, and it's, like, a pretty complicated one, and she, she needs a drill and, like, some other stuff to, like, actually adequately break into it Durov drives up and they're like what the fuck where I thought Durov was supposed to be in a meeting and they're like well we hacked his calendar and it said he was in a meeting for a while and they're like you Michael's like you didn't surveil the meeting so that we'd know if he was coming back early and they're like well he is like a rich guy with a really big company we didn't get authorization to like spy on his business meetings it wasn't relevant to the case and so Michael's like furious and it's like you gotta get out of there the CIA guys screwed up these fucking idiot virgins cannot handle their shit and he's like don't worry I got this and I assume that what I got this means is that we're about to get horny again and we do I don't, I was not expecting the horniness yet. Oh, I was, it, I was primed. My pump was primed. But, oh my god. <laughs> so basically then, Fee, like, propositions Durov for a threesome. Like, they're literally, like, he shows up, they're waiting outside his office door, mm -hmm. very suspiciously. Yeah, very weirdly. Very weirdly. And he's like, this is very weird. Mm -hmm. Like, he rightly understands that it's weird. And then, like, yeah, they just go into this whole thing about how when they were in Milan, they used to fuck guys together. <laughs> and it's like, hey, do you want us to fuck you? Because we will fuck you <laughs> together. And then for some reason, he doesn't instantly take him, them up on this offer. Well, he's like, he's got shit to do. Also, like... He canceled a meeting early. He has time. We know this because he left the meeting early. He has a blocked off time on his calendar. I think he has to, like, try to maintain the power in the situation. Why? Like, Two beautiful women who worked in Milan together are going to fuck him. It's very weird to me why he doesn't just say, like, yeah, let's let's tear one out. I can't imagine this man lasts very long. Like, I don't think his stamina is going to, like, last longer than the maybe meeting time. It. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's got to, like, prepare himself. Prime the pump, as it were. Exactly, yeah. 
I just am curious. I'm just surprised why he's like, mm, I'm instantly horny, but I have to go do something that's not a threesome. Like it just, it doesn't really make sense. It feels like a big gamble for them to be like, let's fuck him. It's also wild here that Fee puts this on Angela. Like Fee doesn't take the lead on making an excuse. They just stand outside the, the meeting and then she just looks at Angela and it's like, Angela, what are we doing out here? <laughs> Angela is the one that has to like improvise. I'm assuming, I assumed that, in the cut, because they had to, at some, in the time that they went from, like, leaving the office to waiting outside, this was discussed. I it has- doesn't seem like it. Angela seems very thrown off and is like, uh, well, no, uh, because she- threesome? <laughs> no, it was, it's, uh, the whole scene is a really weird and, again, very porny energy. <laughs> like The point is, it's not clear. It's not clear. The thing is that, like, this scene goes on, like, there have been scenes on this show before where Fee uses sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, like, they never go on like this. Yeah, they're never, like, it's shot. It's a long scene. It's a long scene. They're never shot so, like, gazy. And, again, I keep saying Fucking horny, but... Jonathan Frakes is a pervert. I, like, a lot of this is... I mean, Bridget Tyler must also be a pervert, so it's yeah. a perfect pairing of perverts. A perfect pervert pairing? But there's some directing choices being made. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's... Choices were made, folks. But, regardless, no threesome actually and occurs, so we don't have to deal with that, and they no, get out clean. No offense to you if you're a pervert. No, absolutely not. No, we love our perverts. We We do. And honestly, you're probably most of our audience at this point. Exactly. And we appreciate you. Give us your money. Let me be a, 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 I, a I, fin dom for I didn't you. realize. I want to fin dom you. Hey, perverts in our audience, let me fin dom you. I did not think I would get so soon to the point where I was asking perverts for money over the internet. I feel like from the very beginning of this podcast, we were asking perverts for money. That's fair. We then cut to a shopping scene. So it's like, they propositioned him with a threesome and he's like, not right now. And then we cut to them just like, at like American Apparel or something. Who knows? It looks like an American Eagle store and they're shopping and Durov is confusingly also there. Like he seems like the kind of guy who like, if he's too busy for a threesome, why is he not too busy to follow these two women no, around I don't think town? It's, I'm telling you, I don't think it's about busyness. I think it's about like, being the dom i think it's about like he needs to be in charge that's why he didn't do the first threesome because he wasn't the one who suggested the threesome so now he has to go out and buy them clothes and make it clear that he is the daddy i don't that doesn't make sense when two young women offer you their bodies you just take them up on it you can show them who's daddy in the bedroom i don't because so, yeah so anyway so fee at, at some point in this scene like mentions that like they've been shopping for a while you know women be shopping and apparently they be shopping all day so finally one of the beige virgins like does like a cold approach where like she's shopping for belts and he kind of like walks up next to her and it's like okay so you need the stuff for the break-in we're gonna just walks like up next to fee yeah walks yeah. up next to fee <laughs> no he goes up to drop and he's like drop i'm gonna break into your <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so one of the one of the unnamed CIA virgins is like I'm sure he has a name and I don't care. He's he's CIA virgin one, the one that talks the most, the one without the mustache. Do you think we'll ever get an episode that's got the CIA virgins and Tweedledee and Tweedledum? God, I hope so. I hope so. And it tr- I hope it turns out that one of like well, I guess the other guys are FBI. Yeah. But, like I want them to have all been like roommates at Quantico. <gasps> 
What if we did a... Okay, so I know we saw, we talk about like wanting to break an episode of Burn Notice at the end. What if instead we broke a prequel series where those four idiots <laughs> are roommates at Quantico and like we just hear about stuff that Michael Weston is doing <laughs> like in the background of like while he's still with the CIA. Holy shit. That's like... I kind of love that. <laughs> Like how the four dumbest people in the world got very high paying, high security clearance jobs. I mean, they're men. That's it. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a mini series. It's not a very long show. It's just a series of failing up. Um, anyways, so this particular unmustachioed virgin tells Fee that she just needs to get them to go to this other particular store and they'll like sneak her, her drill and all of her other stuff. Like, and in again, one of the no offense bags. to our listeners that are virgins. <laughs> and with the, they'll give it to her in a shopping bag. And she's like, that's not going to work. They, sh- they search all of the shopping bags. Like it's never going to get past them. We, we can't do that. And he's like, well, that's the plan. We don't have a lot of time. And she's like, well, fuck your plan. I'll just fuck up his car and then we'll, because like they don't search his car, obviously that wouldn't make sense. So like sneak it into his car somewhere and you know do it. So he, she's like, so I'll sabotage the car and tell you what like mechanic shop we're going to, and then you will be at the mechanic shop. And he's like, that's bad. And then like the security guys start looking over curiously at this dude she's talking to. So then she pretends that he's being a creep and is like, hey, fuck off, dude. <laughs> oh, Michael, just tell Michael what he said. Yeah. We'll do it. Again, and he's. So dumb that he doesn't know what's happening. Yeah, he's like, what do you mean? I wasn't being a creep. <laughs> like, it's it's like... He's, I, like, it's, he's like, like, so close to just shouting out, no, I was talking about her secret CIA plan. <laughs> like, it's like everyone's fucking first day on the job. It's yeah. so wild on every level. But anyways, uh, Fee buys a belt, which she, for some reason, instantly shows Duroff. Like, ooh, look what I found. Isn't this cute? It's like, it's a belt, Fee. And I thought this was just a weird thing she's doing. But then when they go back to the car outside, she shoves it into the tailpipe of the car. And I'm like, I guess maybe you shouldn't have shown him the belt. What if he asks you what the belt is? That's true. Yeah, it seems like really weird that she does that. I didn't pick up on that. Mm -hmm. That is weird. Super weird. Um, But then, yes, indeed, uh, the car done gets sabotaged. But before that happens, uh, we have to go back to South Carolina for Bribe 2.0. Yeah, no, it never matters. But yeah, so back in in South Carolina, Bribe 2.0, basically the spy tip is when when somebody rejects a bribe, you can still approach him a second time. But now you've learned something, which is that like, you can't try to get him to do something bad, but you can reward him for doing something good. So you can basically bribe him for not taking a bribe. Yeah. And then he'll feel self like righteous, self righteous, and that's good. So that's what they do. Uh, and they not only like offer him just like a general bribe, but Jesse and and Sam are basically like, honestly, you have such like a good head on your shoulders that Mr. You're Kruger, so honest. You're such an honest dude. Mr. Kruger wants to hire you. It's a really great job. We can get drunk in Dubai. It's awesome. And so like they 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 lay it on pretty thick. And he's like, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't leave here. And they're like, okay, well, we got to go catch our flight. And so they, they do the thing once again where they walk away from the deal. And then he calls yeah. them back and it's like, what was the starting salary? Sorry, can you yeah. can you come back here and tell me more about that? Uh, and so they all get drunk on whiskey and talk about job opportunities. They get him drunk. This guy, this actor <laughs> is playing drunk now and is having the time of his life. He is like so, just like, um, he has this giant smile on his face. Mm-hmm. It's so goofy. 
I, I will be honest, I was not paying attention to fucking Thompson at all. I'm like, this is obviously the least interesting plot. Because it's just Sam and Jesse, like, having meetings. It's, <laughs> it's just so boring. boring. But, like, he's just there, like, he is getting drunk, like, a drunk in a movie from the 40s. <laughs> like, before we knew that alcoholism was bad. Yeah, again, everyone like, is on their first day of the job. And exactly. this, this goes for actors and characters. Yeah, he's just, like... You get the sense that, like, at any minute, he is going to hiccup, and then, like, little bubbles are going to come out of his mouth. So back back with the with the horn bunch, back with the porno, uh, the car done got sabotaged by the belt, and then Fee flirtatiously says the word ravenous a bunch, and convinces them to, like, take the car to just, like, any old shop that's nearby. They out loud say, this is the shop nearby that we'll go to. Fee texts Michael, and they get in the car. Then at the shop, they have, like, five minutes for Michael and the CAA chuckle fucks to, like, convince the people working currently at the shop to get the fuck out. The CIA guys go in and say, we're with the CIA and we need your shop. They don't, I don't think they show, like, a badge. They just sort of, like, walk in Let's and are, like, in. they're yeah. walking in and they're, like, we're with the CIA. Get the fuck out. And the guy that owns it is, like, what? What? And, like, this eventually devolves into, like, a four-person brawl where, yeah. like, the guy in the thankfully sole employee at this shop like right. takes on the two CAA chuckle fucks and they do a really bad job and then Michael has to get involved and be the the, the bigger man yeah and beat the shit out of him and so this is happening and it's very loud and he's like what do you mean you're with the CAA like so they're yelling the word CAA a lot and then we cut to Fee and her group driving up to the shop and we know they can hear well enough that like when the brawl throws somebody into one of the like doors or something like we hear that crash on the other side but apparently they're not yelling you're with the cia <laughs> loud enough for anyone on the other side of the so it's like it is very wild how this fight this very loud we're with the cia fight is happening and durov can't hear I it i think by the time that like durov parks the shouting has kind of died down and it's more just fisticuffs i the timing is unclear. The timing is unclear. I don't think unclear. it was very well done. No, it But was eventually, not well done. Michael, wearing a little jumpsuit and an accent, kind of pops out and is like, hey, folks, sorry, just cleaning up what you need. And then everything's fine. And Fee gives a big smile like, oh, I'm just really into mechanics. <laughs> and so that's fine. So then we jump to... Like, once again, jump over a, like, major portion of the day and cut to Fee, like, under the car getting her drill out. Because, like, Michael has planted the drill inside yeah. the car somehow. So, like, Fee is getting that. And Angela is, like, freaking out. <laughs> and the plan is this. Angela is going to keep Durov distracted while he watches the football game. And... Fee is going to break into the safe. And then at a predetermined time, Angela is going to cover their exit by uh, setting off the CO2 alarm, which Michael is going to help out with uh, from afar. We'll get to that in a second. And during the evacuation, they the CIA will like shuffle the girls off into safety. So yeah, that's the plan. Fee just needs some space and time to get into this vault. 
Angela's going to turn the CO2 alarm on. They will get out. Everything is fine. So then Michael does some stuff to support this eventual evacuation notice. And the CAA guys wind about paperwork just to like reestablish these dudes are idiots. Michael's doing all the work. Then in South Carolina, Thompson agrees to work for Michael's fake company. And they like work him over until he finally gives them access to the files that they've been looking for. Because like this whole thing has just been a long con, which I uh, frankly forgot about to just get Thompson to give them the files so they can find the sniper and all they do find they narrow down which like of the guys that it could be is and all they know about him is he is the initials tg yeah like that's it he is like super off the books yeah they like they were like well we are two letters closer to knowing who killed nate yeah no and like and then thompson's like oh yeah no that guy you don't you don't want that guy he's Mm -hmm. like yeah, that guy's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> He's super dangerous. When is my new job? When do we get to go to Dubai? It's like, yeah, we'll give you a call. So back at the heist, the girls get into position, except once Fee does successfully get into the safe, Angela comes up behind her and she's like, Angela, what the fuck are you doing? Like, go set off the CO2 alarm. And Angela's like, actually, no, and pulls a gun. And I'm gonna be not, I'm not gonna lie, I actually was genuinely surprised by this turn, not because it isn't super obvious in hindsight, but because I was so distracted by how balls to the walls everything else in this right. episode has been, I haven't even had time to think about what the actual thing is. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, in a normal Burn Notice episode written, like, by someone who's not acid tripping, I feel like I would have noticed this earlier. And, like, yeah. looking back, it makes sense. But, like, in the actual episode, I'm just so distracted by all of the weird little details that, like, it's like a magic trick of chaos, where instead of it being very smooth and, like, sleight of handy, it's just, like, there's explosions everywhere and you don't notice, like, that you've been pickpocketed. Like, it's just, it's so wild. And I'm like, oh. I mean, this is cool. I like that she's in charge. And so it turns out that the twist is that Durov is actually a good guy. Like, I mean, maybe he's not like a good guy, but like, he's also not a terrorist. So Angela has been like punking the CIA by saying like, he's doing terrorism, help me. And really what she wanted is for them to like send an asset to help her get details so she could do the terrorism deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, But she just couldn't do it alone because Durov has too good of security. She's like, usually I'm a one woman band, but like I needed some help. Unfortunately, the first guy- There is a line in this whole thing where she has to really underline it and be like, sometimes the perfect man for a job is a woman or something like that. And it's like, oh God, calm down. Right. Well, because she, because she's like, yeah, and also I killed the, the other CAA person they sent in. He was so dumb. I had to kill him before he even got close to the safe. Otherwise he would have blown both of our covers. So like, so she's the killer. She's the terrorist. She's the thief. So she zip ties Fiona to the safe and like GTFOs. But luckily, Fee manages to... Oh, and not only does she GTFO, but she... So she zip ties Fee to the the safe and then plants, like, a bomb in the safe. And she's like, even if you manage to, like, sort of escape, it's just gonna... Like, you're gonna die. Or it's gonna look like you blew up the safe or, like, whatever. But, like, regardless, I'm gonna be out of here. So Fee manages to wiggle out of her binding okay, and call Michael. Okay, very, very clear about what happens with Fee. Fee is... Trapped, she needs something to get her out of the zip tie. Mm-hmm. So, and then any other episode, I don't think I would have noticed this. Mm-hmm. But what happens is she takes her shoe off, and we get long shots of like Gabrielle Anwar's foot as she mm-hmm. uses her foot to like grab something from a table. And it's just like, we're looking at her foot for a long time. And again, if this episode wasn't already so horny, I wouldn't have noticed it. But like, this episode is like, 
the thing that you get when you Google Gabrielle Anwar foot, probably. Probably. Yeah, almost certainly. Uh, and I guess, oh, I, and I forgot that she's also been locked in. So basically the situation is this. Fiona is zip tied to the safe. Inside of the safe, which is still open, is like a bomb on a timer. And she can't get out of the room herself because like... She's been locked in. She's been locked in through some mechanism. Although people aren't locked out, which is confusing. Like they instantly get into the room. But anyways, she's trapped. There is a bomb. She is tied up. She gets herself untied up, manages to call Michael and tells her him the situation. He's like, fuck, well, how are we going to get you out? She's like, honestly, at this point, I'm more concerned with that bitch not getting away. So I need you to do something to get us all locked down and then I'll figure it out from there. And the CIA guys are like, absolutely not. We have to get her out. Like we have to cut and run. Like this is terrible. And Michael's like, shut the fuck up and trust Fee. I will keep her in. Part of it was that like, the only person who can defuse the bomb is Angela. Nah. Like that was. I like, assumed Fee could figure it out. Well, yeah, but like Fee was like they kind of make a point saying like I'm I'm Fee. I know bombs. I cannot disarm this bomb. Only Angela can disarm this bomb. So we have to find a way to get her locked in here mm-hmm. so she can disarm it. Right. So uh, Michael's like because cool. I actually do really like this gambit. Oh, I like the the payoff of this gambit. Yeah. I don't know. I I assumed I missed this entirely. I just yeah. assumed that she was like, no, we want to catch her. Like right. I didn't do all of this work. I didn't offer a threesome for this creepy dude for no reason. But anyway, so Michael like blows up the gate using a bunch of like tanks of CO two or something. I don't know. Michael does something very big and explosiony, and Angela, who's like on her way to the store, gets pulled back inside to safety. And they're like, no, ma'am, you can't leave. We're clearly under attack. Back inside, Durov's like, what the fuck is happening? And the guards are like, we found Phoebe in the the safe room and your safe's been broken into. It's really fucked up. She stole from you. So Durov and Angela all go in and are like, Phoebe, what the fuck? And Angela's like, so Phoebe, Phoebe immediately is like, Angela's stealing from you. This is fucked up. This is her bomb. Like, this is is messed up. And Durov's like, "Mm, ah. And then Durov looks to Angela and Angela's like, I didn't know she would do this. But like the way that like Angela's first line is like not actually a good defense. Like she says something to the effect of like, I had no idea she would do this. And it's like, I feel like the first line should be, Phoebe, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the phrasing of Angela's first line sort of implies like, all right, well, I've taken this in. Exactly. And this yeah. doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's so weird. It's such a weird line and it like does not absolve her. But Durov's like, mm. But I've already had sex with Angela, and I like that. So, Phoebe, you're the bad guy. And Phoebe's like... To be fair, I actually did... I like this because I feel like there's so many Burn Notice episodes wherein, like, the Burn Notice crew has to, like, convince someone that's, like, a person that they've known for years is betraying them, Mm -hmm. and it's a lie, Mm -hmm. and they always fall for it. And so I do kind of like that the one time it's true... They don't fall for it. They don't fall and for no, it. And I like this setup too, and I like how it resolves. The problem is, like, just on a dialogue level. Oh, yeah. No. What Angela says is wild. It is wild. Yeah, I agree. So. Yeah, she just immediately, like, like I didn't know about it. Like, yeah. yeah. As if saying, like, earlier Phoebe, like, held a gun to my head and said, don't tell anyone, but I'm going to break into the yeah. safe. And so she's, she's like, all right, well, I knew this was happening, but I didn't know she would do this before she came to stay with us. Like, yeah. it's just, it's a very... It, yeah. A single line change would have solved a lot of this problem. But anyway, Fee's finally like, 
okay, you're right. It's definitely my bomb. And then she looks directly at Angela and is like, this is how you disarm it. And she says it in like, she, yeah. she explains how to disarm the bomb in what I am led to assume is a way that would kill them all. Yeah. And so she's like staring down Angela and she's like, cool, I'll stand in this room and tell you how to disarm it. And so like one of the goons goes to disarm the bomb and Angela finally has to be like, wait, no, don't do that. And Angela has to disarm the bomb herself or else be blown up with her secret. And so, of course, Durab is very upset and then goes to shoot Angela and Fee's like, listen, I was here to, like, stop a terrorist thing. You're clearly not the terrorist, but if you shoot Angela, you will be a murderer. So, like, if you would like to just, like, forget this ever happened, just let me have Angela and we'll go away. Like, I promise you'll never fucking see me again. Durab's like, all right, fine, go away. So then that's the last time we see... Angela or Durov. And then we have a tiny little debrief scene with the CAA chuckle fox. And they're like, so listen, paperwork is going to say that this went a-okay according to plan. We were not set up. We were not tricked by an asset. Everything's great. We were trying to get Angela the whole time. For sure. Yes, we knew the whole time. And Fee's like, I will back you if you never fucking call me again. The CIA does not have an asset named Fiona Glennan. And they're like, fair, 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 fair. See you later. And like, this is such a fucking convenient way to get out of a thing that seemed like like a major decision to get Fee out of prison. Right. That I guess we just don't have time for now. So they're like, well, we got to get her out of this. So yeah. Yeah. And it's like. Why? Yeah. It seemed like you could have gotten more story out of... Her being an asset? Yeah. And so, like, it being, like, Michael on the outside, Fee on the inside? Exactly. It also, like, then is just sort of a waste of time from, like, six episodes ago, where it's like, why did we have this whole fucking thing about, like, Fiona being a CIA asset? Why isn't it just like, hey, we happen to have a thing that Fiona would be perfect for, so if she cooperates with us and you get Anson, she'll be let out. Why did they have to make her an official asset for this? Like, it just seems very contrived for no reason. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do it, fucking do it. And if you're not going to do it, just don't do it. Yeah, exactly. It's Nothing just, would have had to change. No, yeah. It just does. It feels weird. And, like, this episode could have still happened where they go and are like, hey, Michael, we know we work with you sometimes and we need a girl who's, like, good at being scrappy. Yeah, and then and then Fee could go what 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 exactly, and it would make even more sense. This is what I'm saying. My, what I'm saying is, why are you doing this to me, Bird Notice? Like, it would not change a lot, and would frankly make things a lot better if you just like paid attention to your own shit for once in your stupid life. Ugh. So that's fine. I guess Fee's not a CIA asset anymore. Back at the loft, Michael is upset that they are only two letters closer to finding this sniper. So he's like, well, the only way we're going to get him is to like say that we're going to go into business with, uh, with Point Dexter or whatever the fuck this company's name is. And like, I'll just describe a team that I need that is like so specific that they have to send me TG as one of my options. And so at this point, I'm like, hang on. We've spent an entire episode under the assumption that they're not just going to give you names. So presumably, if you give, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to hire you, give me names, you have to accompany that ask with something. So are they paying him money? I mean, because the whole thing is like. I mean, the idea is that like. So have they given him money? Where did they get that money? I think they were going to give him money. But why would he come to the? Why would they tell him the specs and him send them the stuff? For that, for no money. In the scene that happens just now, the meeting that they are having is not the meeting to discuss specs. To talk about the scene that's just about to happen mm-hmm. is that what's his name? Vale. Yeah. Shows up because here's called them mm-hmm. 
because... Because they sent him the specs and he's like, I know who you're asking for. Exactly. Don't ask me for him. Exactly. So it's entirely possible that, like, Vale called this meeting. Mm -hmm. If they had just got any other guy, they would have sent the specs and then perhaps a deposit would have been put down or whatever. I'm confused about how they are getting him to send a guy somewhere without money because the amount of money that they are implying that this sort of whole deal is I mean, is there is a specific take, number. It is $24 million. Right. That's more money than they've ever had to pull together for anything. Yeah. That is a... We've seen them squabble over getting like 50 grand. I think... And so like to say like, oh yeah, we're going to be able to scrape together $24 million so that we will successfully get this guy is wild that we're just glazing over it of like, yeah, sure, we'll give you $24 I million. Mean, I agree. That conversation is never had. There is no like well, secondary be, plot of like, all right, well now we have to raise or fake $24 To be fair though, dollars. I feel like you don't pay for things before you order them. I mean, but this is what I'm saying is for this kind of a thing, it feels like you don't just send in an order. Like I need to know you're committed before like I start putting work into it. I mean, but... Like, even for at my job, like, you can't get a consultation with me unless you start to fill out your crowdfunding page. So, like, you know, that's a deposit of time, obviously. But in this sort of a situation, it's wild that, like, they are allowed to, like, say, yeah, we want to do this. Here's a bunch of specs for the kind of guy that I want you to send to the sniper post or whatever before giving him a deposit. It just seems, based on how they've set up the circumstance, that, like, why would would he do this work for free? Why would he the work of, like, starting to put together the team? The fact that I mean, they have sent think, him specs no, but for, like, like, this is the kind of guy I need I don't think, before money is exchanged is where I I'm think confused. they were, like, I think... His business no, practices I feel make like no you sense would, to me. No, I feel like that's reasonable to me. Like, if you were, like, Because you're assuming that he's just, like, not going to do the work until the money gets in the bank? Well, yeah. No, like, the thing is that, like, if you're, like, hiring, like, a contractor mm-hmm. to work on your house, mm-hmm. before, like, money is exchanged, you explain what the job is. Mm-hmm. That's what is going on here. I guess. No. But they've already like, done that. Like, no, they, they already, haven't. They have not explained what the job is. Yeah, they they said we have an oil field, and sometimes people get too close. That's and so it. we're looking for a sniper. Yeah, that's like it. But like, again, I think that's not quite, that's not specs. I feel like, I don't know, this didn't bug me. I just, they made a huge big deal about like, you know, you got to be really rich to play in these fields. I think the and thing the fact is that, that like, they're now, man, like, obviously... I feel you, like if the, this was a normal the situation, scene, the guy wouldn't have had a meeting. I feel like, other than the first scene, the richness does not matter. I right, but that's put, how they set it up the whole I guess, like, thing. And, like, the, the price tag of $24 million is absolutely buck wild to just be like, so yeah, we're going to definitely make an order of $24 million. Here's, your, here's the stuff that we need. I mean, I and like, like I know that what you're saying is no money has exchanged hands because he just happened to look at the specs and realize what was happening yeah, and cut it off at the Exactly. Facts. What yes. I'm saying is. I cannot imagine that in this sort of a business, a deposit was not required before the pass got cut off. Like, I think it's wild that they gave him any additional information saying, yeah, we're totally going to do this with you without also giving him money. That, that seems wildly improbable based on everything that they've set up about this dude, about this business, about how much money this is, I, about how closely guarded his things are. I mean, kind of, but again, at no point is he giving them anything. Well, that was also unclear. I just couldn't tell what, because they were like, yeah, I guess we have to hire him, but that's it. That's all we've said. So I don't know what that means. I don't know how they're going to make it. They're like, we're going to send him some details. So that that means he has to send us this guy. Yeah. I'm surprised that they are allowed to send him further details without actually committing. That seems like a lot of work. I don't know why that would be. 
why? Know why it wouldn't be. I felt I thought this whole thing was very convoluted for no reason. Oh my god! I thought that this is the thing that you focused on. I mean, it wasn't. I, it's just one yeah. of the many things that, like, about this episode that I'm like, that doesn't because, make sense. Because, like, there's another thing about this scene that I focused on that I feel like you didn't pick up on. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. Well, yeah. So the scene is that he's like, I know you're trying to get TG. I, I know you're trying to get Tyler Gray. Don't stop. Don't no. This is done. This is over. I don't know who you are, but I'm not working with you. And then he gets fucking sniped. Yes. He gets sniped. They learn nothing. Okay. But except for now, they know his name is Tyler Gray. Okay. Here's the thing. I talked about earlier that there were multiple moments in this episode where I paused and rewound things. Mm-hmm. The moment when he gets sniped, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm not telling you anything. Uh, he explains that, like, someone's, I know that you're following me. And it's, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And then, like, Michael's like, no, I'm not following you. Are you, are you okay? Like, Suddenly, Michael's like, oh, God, someone's following this guy. Mm-hmm. He immediately gets shot. Yep. He collapses. And, like, Sam and Michael, like, throw the table over. Yeah, they flip the table. Flip the cover. table as cover. At this moment, the camera briefly cuts to two extras. And badly ADR'd, someone says, Dad, that guy just got shot. Oh, I didn't hear that at all. Oh, no. And it's, like, two human beings that, like, I, t- I would believe that, like, that this, it is possible that these two are father and son while also believing that, like, no casting director would cast extras for them to be father and son. It is very clear that, like, the kid is not talking. <laughs> and it's very clear that the ADR is not coming from that kid. It sounds like an adult doing a child's voice. And then, like, immediately after, Sam goes, kid, get down! And it's like, why are we doing this? Why is this in the episode? Like... Again, why did we feel the need to cut to these two people who, the more that I look at them, they're like, the child kind of has this, like, buzz cut, clean cut look, and he's wearing, like, a kind of striped, like, uh, button-up collared shirt, Mm -hmm. and then, like, the older guy looks like he's in his 50s or 60s, like, he's got a beard and a, like, bright red shirt, and he's got, like, a shark tooth necklace. Wow, yeah, I was not looking at these fucking actors. I I did not care at all. I need you to see, I literally, I like made Joe and Tony watch it later. <laughs> so obsessed with that. I, I literally like screenshotted it and sent the screenshot to people. It's, it is wild that this thing happens in like a professional production. And it really contributes to the whole porniness of it because it's like really, really bad B-movie. Like, yeah, it's just, like, a very confusing episode of, like, yeah. nobody is on the same page at all. Yeah. Not a single person in this episode is in the same episode of television. Right. No, totally. Right here. Again, like, the kid is not talking. No, he's fully not talking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is not a child's voice. Yeah, we could have just not had that. We could have just not had it. And again... Because also, Bruce Campbell, we barely even see to say, like, kid, get down. We don't need to see Bruce Campbell say that. He, We can just, like... Because we don't even see Bruce Campbell's voice. We could just take both of those lines out and just have it be chaos and cut to, like, a kid looking horrified. The exactly. kid looking horrified, 
I, I know that he's thinking in his head, Dad, somebody just shot that guy. And it's also like, we as the audience don't need someone to tell us no. that someone shot that guy. Because, like, we just saw it. I remember, like, I told Joe and Tony about it. And Tony was like, was it unclear that the guy got shot? And I'm like, no. <laughs> he was, in fact, <laughs> shot twice yeah. in the chest <laughs> as they were talking about a super secret sniper. And it's just like, again, this, like, little, like, 12-year-old boy. And, like, this guy, again, looks like he could be the... They could be related, but I would not, you wouldn't cast them Mm -hmm. as being related. And they're just kind of like, and again, just, dad, somebody shot that guy. It's like, we know. (laughs) And then like, and then, yeah, the way that Sam is like, kid, get that. Like, why is the kid part of it? Yeah. Why is the kid involved? Completely unnecessary. Does not add anything. It's just confusing. It's so confusing. And it's like, I don't know why this is happening, but I watched it 20 times. (laughs) I've now watched it twice. Uh, but yeah, then Michael ends the scene by like screaming at Vale's dead body, who is Tyler Gray? Over and over again. And then the episode's over. So that's an experience we all had together now. Where's Rachel? <laughs> Where are the other drugs? <laughs> oh my God. This is the most affected Michael has been about Nate's death since he watched him die. Here's the thing about this episode. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, I wanted to watch it again. <laughs> like I, I kind of do too now because I'm like, I don't think I even got a third of what the fuck was going on in this episode. I, like, again, I literally, I was like, I had to watch another episode of Burn Notice, but I was like, the next one won't have the same energy that this one does. No, there's like, no way. I was literally, I just wanted to experience it again because like, you're right. I was like, there's definitely nuances to this that I'm missing because like so much is happening in it. And it's just like, holy shit, this episode. This, like, yeah. I I kind of love it. <laughs> Just because, yeah, holy it's, shit. It's, uh, it happened. Uh, and there were also 13 different spy tips that I cut a lot of them out because, like, some of them were just voiceover. But, like, it was also a chock-full episode of voiceover. It was, like, half narration. So let's talk about the ones Dad, that were... Dad, somebody shot that guy. <laughs> it's... So yeah, so let's let's talk about spy tips before we we really dig into what the fuck was that? <laughs> so spy tips. Number one, the easiest way to open a door with an electric lock is to cut the electricity. Unless your target has a fail-secure door designed to stay locked during a power outage. To get past a fail-secure door, you can try to steal the entry code, but if you have access to the manufacturer schematics, it's much easier to wire in a duplicate circuit and trip the lock yourself. Yeah, sure, fine. I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, there's a lot there. Number two, whether you're in a market in Syria or a boutique in Miami, getting supplies to operatives in the field is always dangerous. Often you have to spot a contact, arrange an excuse to approach, and make a drop, and do it all while you're looking like you're just out for a day's shopping. I feel like there was enough in the actual scene where it's like they had been tailing her for a while. This was the first place where it seemed like it was safe enough. And then when it looked like they were about to get made, Fee's pivot to like how to make it look like you're not doing a, a covert drop. I mean, it's. I feel like we've seen stuff like this before. Now, last time it was like, use a cutout. That's true. Oh, God. That was so long ago. I don't believe you have that in your brain. I have it in my brain because they use that in Blind Spot. The Peter, the one that Peter Lilianus and Ryan Johnson wrote, they 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 use the word cutout. Wow. And they also use the word, um, oh fuck, it's the the slit word, the slip, the slick, slick. There yeah. It is yeah. They also use slick. Oh god. Because that's also kind of a spy show. And so yeah. they, they use their old burn notice like 
terminology in blind spot. So it's now seared in my brain forever. The slick is seared in your brain. The slick. The slick slip. The slick slipped in. <gasps> oh god, you you can have this. I'm fine. I don't care. Okay, whatever. It, it there's like eight of these. Number three, the key to successfully bribing someone who resists an initial approach is research and observation. You need to know as much as you can about your target, his principles, his weaknesses, his dreams. With most by the book targets, it's usually just a matter of making them feel like they're not being paid to do something wrong. They're being rewarded for doing something right. Yeah, sure, I'll take this. This yeah, is interesting. That was that was very interesting. And yeah. like that's an example of, you know, you gotta do your research is not a good tip. But when you give us an example of like yes. so for instance if you learn he's a by-the-book guy, blah, blah, blah. So I thought that was nice. Um, weirdly good and coherent spy tips for an absolute mess of an episode. Uh, number four, sabotage is most often used to destroy a target's vehicle, but not always. Simply damaging an enemy's car can be very useful as well, as long as you can get your own team in position to do the repairs. And then the detail of you can sabotage a car and apparently a way that no one will ever figure out by shoving a belt in the tailpipe. Like, I thought this was a clever on the on the go, you know, uh, situation they got themselves out of. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm in a giving mood. <laughs> so was Fiona. And Durov. Number five, getting people to evacuate a building is a lot harder than you might think. Most people don't pay attention to fire alarms unless they see flames. Carbon monoxide alarms, on the other hand, tend to get plenty of attention. People are reluctant to ignore a threat that's invisible, odorless, and deadly. And best of all, any home with a gas line has a built-in delivery system. No, yeah, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, I remember I was confused because, like, when they kept saying she has to trip the alarm, and I was like, so why are we putting gas in? But that like, was also something that I had a confusion on, because I guess it's, we need Michael to have stuff that will blow up a car eventually in the, a later No, time. I think it's literally just to make sure that, like, they need an escape strategy, so, like, people actually have to come. Like, if an alarm goes off, but then what is actual... Michael doing to the pipes? If it's just like a fake alarm trip, what is he doing to the pipes? I have no fucking clue. Yeah, like... no, but I mean, like there is like because carbon monoxide has to be going into the place, mm-hmm. and so I guess he's making sure that that happens. But why? If they're just tripping the alarm, like, but like because if there's not actually carbon monoxide, it's like, well, then why does she need to trip the alarm? You know, that was the thing that I was confused about. <laughs> I was very confused about that part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still confused about that part Nothing of it. Nothing in this episode makes sense. And honestly, its commitment to never, ever at any point making sense is one of my favorite things about this episode. I will say, do you know the difference between a fire alarm and a carbon monoxide alarm? In context of what? Exactly. Because I kind of understand the idea. Like, lots of times fire alarms get pulled or like... Right. No, and I understand, like, why uh, it, a carbon monoxide scare is, like, more dangerous than, exactly. like, a fire alarm going off without flames. But, like, I don't understand how they are actually doing it because... I don't know. What I don't understand also is that, like... Can you it, just trip public, an alarm thing? In a public place, mm-hmm. are people going to, like, hear it and go, oh, that's the carbon monoxide alarm. I'm going to go out. If this was a fire alarm... I would figure it's fake, but carbon, you know what I mean? I imagine it's a different tone. It's like, it's like at school, but they I have feel different like bells. If I, like, is it an active shooter? Is it like, a fire alarm? In this place, it makes sense because it's a private residence. Mm-hmm. But like, if I was like in a public building mm-hmm. and a, a tone went off, I wouldn't go, oh, that's the carbon monoxide tone. Yeah, but if you're in like a big public building, then any kind of alarm would probably force you to go out. Like, exactly, you're, but at that point, that this tip isn't very useful. No, that's not true because it's specifically about a home with a gas line. It's like, not about being in public. It's about like, it's useful to do this for a home. But thing. like, because like, but the setup of the tip is most people don't pay much attention to fire alarms unless they see flames. Right. Like, so I, like, 
So like pulling a fire alarm in my apartment wouldn't do any good because I can go into the only other room in the apartment and see there's no flames and be like, nah, I bet it's just mad that there's bacon cooking. That's fair. I don't care. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the tip. Yeah. Just the tip? Just the tip. Number six. Any safe can be cracked with enough time and the right equipment. Even high-end models with security features like glass relockers, sheets of glass in the wall that shatter if you try to drill through them, hit one and a locking bolt seals the safe permanently. But if you come prepared with a drill bit point diagram and a good bore scope, you can bypass the relocker and find the combination by studying the wheel pack. Then you just have to hope that your plan to get out of the building goes as well as your plan to get into the safe. Sure, that sounds like a much nonsense that is true. Well, and I liked that yeah. they, they had printed her out a, like... A, a real size diagram so she knew yeah. exactly where to like go. Uh, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. I've never seen that in a yeah. safe cracking thing. All right, number seven. If you need to get out of a zip tie and you can't cut yourself free, foot fetish time. Your best op option is to find a shim. You can make a shim out of almost anything that's thin enough and flexible enough to slip into the cable tie and separate the teeth from the ratchet mechanism. That's actually really useful. It's very useful. Yeah. And that I'm, feels like one of the the most true to like the original premise of us doing this. Mm -hmm, it like, feels like a thing that we could do. Sure, exactly. Yeah. And, and my like, feet are very flexible, as are my limbs. Exactly. I'm a weirdly, you would look at me and go, that bitch can't move at all. But I'm a very slippery bitch. I'm very flexible. Right. And it, like, it also seems like plausible that it's not like, not likely but plausible that at some point in our life, we might be zip tied. Yeah, I mean, if those Reddit people ever figure out where we are, exactly. they're going to come for us. All right, number eight. Most people know that carbon monoxide is a poisonous gas. Inhale too much and it displaces the oxygen in your bloodstream and suffocates you from the inside out. What most people don't know is that in a confined space with a vapor to air mixture anywhere between 12 and 75%, it's also a powerful explosive. No, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds cool. So that's eight. That's eight that's practical a lot of spy tips. tips. And yeah. even like the one or two that you're like, eh, like that was a lot i learned I a lot from like, this episode i mean i think that's about the thing myself about... and my body and about fiona's body and about how duro thinks about fiona's body but also about spy tips <laughs> about what you would do if two women offered you a threesome mm -hmm. which is to say not right now you need to know i'm daddy <laughs> <sighs> oh my god yeah no like i think if you're writing an episode of Bird Notice, I feel like a first-time writer's instinct is to put a lot of spy tips. Because, mm -hmm. like, if you're going, that is the thing that is the show. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who likes the show and wants to write for the show, like, that's the thing you're going to focus on more than anything. Because it's like, this is the thing. I have to do the thing. Like, if I was writing a spec for Burn Notice, like, you would put in a lot of spy tips. Mm -hmm. Because that's, like, the thing that you do when you're writing a spec for a show. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of... I think it's pretty safe to say that we solved the weekly case with spycraft over violence. Oh, yeah, I didn't believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do believe. I do uh, believe. Is there an alias? Do we care about Mr. Kruger? Yeah, I mean, he has a name, and we see him twice, and he's got an outfit, but his, like... Yeah. And he says, a, he has kind of like a very stern billionaire cadence, which we did talk about. Uh -huh. You know, that is acceptable. Like a weird, like he has a weird sort of stilted way of talking. It's not my favorite, but he I'm has gonna... a name... I'm not going to remember it. Like, yeah, like part of the yeah, original... Yeah, it's like a distinct or memorable alias. Exactly, yeah. And just having a name, especially a name as boring as Mr. Kruger is... Exactly. And like, he's, and he barely does it, because mm -hmm. eventually he goes over to the other plot. Right. And like, so, Phoebe is just Fiona with the name Phoebe. Exactly. It's just <laughs> so, Phoebe with a B. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's not really a lot going on there. So yeah, even though there is, uh, there is an alias enough... For me to have edited the Burn Notice Wiki again, not enough to pass this tenant. Right. So the next thing needs to go well. 
are there at least two supporting characters that were used well? Does Fee get to blow something up or be protagonist? She stops something from blowing up. She but does. She does get to be the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's very much fee centric. I think fee's used well in this episode. Yeah, no, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell at any point? Um, he's not in this that much. I mean, I he mean, is. I mean, he's he just is. in the most boring plot. He's in the boring plot, and like he's not doing much. Mm-mm. He tells that kid to get down. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't think he's particularly. Yeah, I don't think he, he is really... technically Chuck Finley, but it, yeah. Yeah, no, he's Charles Finley because he's, he's Charles he's... Finley. That's true. It's a business guy. Business guys are Charles. Exactly. Yeah, the the rich, like respectable guys are Charles. Yeah. The, the dirtbags are Chuck. Um, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I don't know. I think he's literally just what Michael would have done if Michael yeah. was in the other plot. Like he was he he was literally swapped in for Michael because Michael's like, no, I got to go deal with the feet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then Madeline was not in this episode. Was not in this episode. So this is actually, despite having double the amount of spy tips that we get for a lot of these episodes, not a great episode of Burn Notice. The three. <laughs> oh, I've was been waiting it? for this question. Was it a great episode of television? I mean, obviously not. No. But I really enjoyed it. God, again. For the every reason that I have never enjoyed a Burn Notice episode. Again, I wanted to watch it again. I've never finished an episode of Burn Notice and been like, I want to watch that one again. Like, right away. So for that, it's something. It, I, like, it was definitely something. It was definitely something. And it's, I, it was fascinating. It was... Really good in a bad movie way. Yeah, exactly. This is something that's like, I want to get, this is what I wish we could have gotten drunk and watched together. Right. I was, I will say I was high for this one. (laughs) It helped a lot. I bet it did. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish I hadn't recapped it only because I bet it would have been more fun to just enjoy. Oh yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, this is, so this is the fourth episode in a row that has had no yogurts and just an episode of television. So, like, we haven't had a great episode of television or a great episode of Burn Notice in four episodes. It turns out that Nate being alive was the only thing that was holding this all together. <laughs> I don't know. I have high hopes for next week's episode. I do, too. Let's see if they pan out. Let's see if they pan out. But until then, thank you again to Vincent E.L. for the use of our theme music. Uh, you can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye-bye. God, somebody shot that guy. I was hoping that was what you were going to do. Get down, kid. <laughs>